Welcome to Aztec Radio. I am Ben Flanagan, and I am joined via telephone by Corey Kraft. It's been forever, Corey. Yeah, it's been since, like, September. How you been? I've been great, and I understand you've had a pretty momentous life change yourself. Yeah, I saw Star Wars The Force Awakens in the theater. <laughs> That's precisely what I was referring to. Right. I also had a daughter. I had a baby daughter with my wife, Tess, and, and that would be the moment you're speaking of. And yes, it's been a long time. She's almost two months now, and life is great and, and much realer than it was before, I'll say, but we're having a blast. You know, it's been it's been far too long since we recorded Aspect Radio, and life has gotten in the way, unfortunately, but I'm glad we have some time now to talk about some movies that we've seen and loved, and perhaps that we've not loved quite as much. And, and one of those is a, a polarizing new blockbuster, the biggest movie of 2016 so far. Obviously, Warner Brothers and DC's Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. And before we get to that, before we lock horns, as I anticipate we might, I think we should quickly, since we haven't had a show since the end of the year, we should talk about how we felt about 2015, which I personally thought was a great, movie year so quickly Corey, let's just run through our top tens respectively real quick just to size up how we felt about the year you go first well i mean if you've uh some some listeners may be familiar with with my site artsbeham.com and if you visited that over the last few months you may have seen that i, th- I thought 2015 was so good i actually did a top 30 of 2015 uh not just a top 10 but i'm i'll, I'll tell you my top 10 just to to save time uh, here right now. It was a very good movie year. This was a very hard list to make, but coming in at number 10, uh, a movie that I understand I don't think you liked as much as I did, uh, Adam McKay's The Big Short, which, uh, Best Picture nominee, lots of buzz around this, a comedy about the 2008 financial crisis. Number 9, Steven Spielberg's Bridge of Spies. Number 8, uh, Denis Villeneuve's uh, Sicario. Uh, number seven, uh, one of two Noah Baumbach movies from last year. Uh, not the one that got as much buzz as the other, but my preferred uh, film, Mistress America. Uh, number six, Todd Haynes' wonderful romance, Carol. Number five, uh, John Crowley's wonderful romance, Brooklyn. And number four, uh, a movie that we have already adequately covered on Aspect Radio, even considering we haven't done the show in a while, uh, the new Pixar film from Pete Doctor, Inside Out. At number three, a movie that I would have sworn, uh, if you had asked me right after I saw it, would be my number one film of the year, uh, Tom McCarthy's Spotlight, which was, of course, the eventual uh, Academy Award winner for Best Picture. At number two, uh, a movie that I don't think too many people have had a chance to see, a uh, little indie movie that hasn't gotten much of a release, uh, but just among the best things I saw uh, in 2015 from start to finish, uh, Andrew Hayes' 45 Years. And finally, at number one, uh, I guess I should have seen this coming since May of last year, but it was the unstoppable juggernaut that was Mad Max Fury Road. Wow, quite a top ten there. And I can't wait to read the rest of the top 30. I actually have, Corey, on artsbm.com, a really thorough recap of the year. And I actually made a top 30 list, too. And you can find my list on Letterboxd. And, and you should follow both of us on Letterboxd. Corey's at Corey Craft, I believe. If they just search that, they can find you. you can find yeah, me. I think so. 
Yeah, so check us out on Letterboxd. It's a really fun site. It finally has an app, so that's something to celebrate. So quickly, Corey, my top ten of the year, I think you're going to love this list, to be quite honest with you. My number ten was The Good Dinosaur, and I know that you hated The Good Dinosaur because you hate Pixar, obviously, <laughs> and, and you're a sad and, and lonely person inside, and, and that's on you, and Pixar's supposed to have the opposite effect. I just couldn't deny my feelings. I think it's a beautiful story, gorgeously animated, and, and right up there for me with the very best of Pixar. Super underrated, too. My number nine, Danny Boyle's Steve Jobs, a movie, again, I, I feel was slightly underrated by audiences. It's good to know that critics seem to like it okay. My number eight was Chappie, the Neil what? Blomkamp sci-fi adventure. Really fantastic. Hey, another underrated movie, if you can believe it. My number seven. Star Wars, The Force Awakens. I will always remember 2015 as the year I saw Star Wars, The Force Awakens in theaters. And I only saw it once, Corey, which is my biggest regret of the 2015 film year. My number six, David O. Russell's Joy, which was a total joy to watch to be as corny as possible. And I don't understand the hate that went its way specifically from you. Number five, <laughs> The Revenant. Alejandro Gonzalez and Yaratus, obviously it's his Oscar-winning adventure movie that made me feel great, as opposed to as miserably as it made others feel for whatever reason. Number four, Bridge of Spies. I love Steven Spielberg's Cold War thriller starring Tom Hanks and what I thought was a top five career performance, but never mind that. Who freaking cares? Number three for me, Brooklyn. I love John Crowley's immigration love story. Saoirse Ronan is fantastic. Emery Cohen is great. Super, super fun movie that everybody should see. I'd recommend it to my parents. I'd recommend it to my friends, my kids. It's it's fantastic. See it. My number two, the Best Picture winner, Spotlight. I rewatched it the other day and thought twice about whether or not it should be my number one of the year. It is just note perfect and just a blast to watch. And my number one, Pixar's Inside Out. So I'm going to book in my list with Pixar movies that we were spoiled to get two in one year. And Inside Out happens to be one of their best ever. It's up there with Toy Story and Ratatouille and Finding Nemo. It's elite Pixar. And, and I encourage people, if you haven't seen this movie yet, do your soul a favor and check it out. So that's my top ten, Corey. Well, you pulled yourself out of a tailspin there with your top four. <laughs> Looking pretty shaky until then. I mean, oh, I obviously agree with your top four, but there are some others uh, in there I'm less sure about. Sure. Well, I, I could say the same about yours, Corey, but I'm, I'm in too good a mood after running through my top ten there that reminded <laughs> me of how much fun I had that year. So, okay. I mean, anything else you want to say right now about 2015 before we move on? Uh, no. <laughs> the, the Hateful Eight comes out on Blu-ray tomorrow. That's a really good movie. You know, it came back to Tuscaloosa, the Cobb Theater, last weekend for whatever reason. Did it really? Yeah. It, it wasn't the 70 millimeter or anything like that. It just the hateful eight came back to theaters. I have no idea why. Oh, all right. It's worth whatever. seeing. Did you, so you liked the hateful eight? Oh, I sure did. I liked it a lot. didn't quite make my top ten, but it's uh, in my 11 through 20. Okay. I liked it, too. I did. It's in my top 30. And and but I you know I, I have issues with it for sure not well, sure. that it matters or anything but it's got a I mean that first hour is awesome I love yeah it. yeah it so is. okay 
we'll, we'll close the book officially on March 20, whatever it is right now, as we're knee-deep in pollen here in spring in Alabama, and move on to 2016. And while there have been a few movies that have come out that have made noise, none have made nearly as loud a noise as Zack Snyder's Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. Corey, even when we were recording this podcast a year ago or whenever our last episode was, you had some things to say about this movie, obviously, before you had seen it. Philosophically, I think that you, I think it's fair to say that you had issues with the direction and the strategy that DC and Warner Brothers were using to release not only this movie, but how they were using it as a catapult to release future franchise films as it relates to the Justice League universe and the DC universe that they they were creating with this movie, which was supposed to be a sequel to Man of Steel, and it certainly works as that. So I'm just curious, you know, both of us have written about this movie. I've written a piece on AL.com, not to give too much away about how I feel about it, called Seven Reasons Critics Got It Wrong About Batman versus Superman. You wrote a piece on artbeham.com, a review of it. I haven't read the review because I wanted to talk to you about it, but I did see the little subhead, and it's one word, and it only says deadening. So <laughs> I, I got the impression that you hated this movie as much as you had planned to hate it. Is that true? Well, I, I think that um, there is a very specific critical term to describe how Warner Brothers and DC went about trying to establish their uh, cinematic universe, I, I guess you could call it, in competition with, with Marvel's already well-established cinematic universe. And that very specific, very critical uh, term is ass-backwards because Batman versus Superman feels uh, like the product of, of any number of boardroom meetings and uh, corporate calculations meant to establish uh, ten or so other movies to come. In other words, it feels like a two-and-a-half-hour a two sizzle reel at points, to the degree that the movie stops dead uh, about two-thirds of the way through it to essentially have one character watch what amounts to three little teaser trailers <laughs> for upcoming uh, DC movies. That, to me, is emblematic of, of sort of the cumbersome nature of this film, a film by committee, I think, if ever there was one. Even more so, I think, than, than a movie I'm well on record is not having any fondness for, Zack Snyder's previous film, Man of Steel. It's not to say that there aren't some redeeming qualities in Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, but if this is the ground that uh, the Justice League films and, and the upcoming DC films are, are to be established on, that is, that is shaky ground indeed. I found this to be cumbersome, messy, and sort of numbing in the worst way. I mean, fundamentally... As I think you've, you've uh, alluded to, I don't like the interpretations of these characters. Setting that aside, I still don't think this is a particularly well done film. The first hour, which has, you know, its moments of pleasure here and there, is essentially a, a mess that moves at breakneck speed from subplot to subplot, cramming in new characters that we don't have any attachment to and, and are just getting to know or, or are expected to to side with in this burgeoning conflict that the, the title alludes to. Uh, you know, I guess fundamentally, one of my real problems with Batman v Superman is that 
the titular showdown is so flat. These are characters that we don't really know that well, not even Henry Cavill's Superman. And the fight, rather disappointingly, is not a fight of ideologies, which is if you're going to pit these two characters against each other, kind of what you're looking for. Batman and Superman in this film are kind of indistinguishably brooding. And and to me, it, it makes for a really unsatisfying experience, particularly given how... Uh, indistinguishably indistinguishably brooding the rest of the film is too it's it's sort of a gray lifeless mess but i'm happy to hear that you enjoyed it for whatever reason no i did i, I really did and, and i don't i don't I, look like man of steel a movie that i also enjoyed it's flawed and and that's okay and, and I, I i choose to see the gray and, and not just totally go black and white on Batman v Superman, which so many people are doing right now, it's like this is a weird anti-Batman versus Superman movement that seems to go with the tagline "You're either with us or against us," and I just don't understand that mentality, and I'm not sure how that makes for healthy discourse about a new movie. And again, yes, I do like it, and and I, I agree with a lot of what you said, especially the cumbersome nature of it. You mentioned the moment two-thirds of the way through the movie where it, it comes to sort of a screeching halt just so they can set up the Justice League movies. I, I agree that that part doesn't work, and it's inorganic. There are moments throughout the movie that are slightly more satisfying in terms of how they choose to set moments like that up, particularly Gal Gadot's moments with Ben Affleck on a couple of different occasions. I think she brings a really welcome presence to this universe, and, and I look forward to what she does as Wonder Woman. But I think that she and Ben Affleck share some really, really solid scenes together and obviously have great chemistry. So I personally look forward to, to those two carrying those movies in the future together. But I, I totally disagree with you about the big showdown between Batman and Superman. That is the highlight of the movie for me, the way it's shot, the, the, the fight itself, the actions of the two characters, the motivations of the two characters, how one is clearly motivated while the other has information, the other doesn't. So it's really rooted in a misunderstanding. The moment they share once the fight comes to an end, oh, that's, that sort that's, of resolves it. That's like so it. stupid. I don't think it's stupid though. I really don't. I thought it was, I thought it was nice. It was simple. Yes, but it was fun, and it, it it set up a really fun action sequence that followed that, in which Batman has to rescue another character in the movie, which was a really exciting action set piece and, and served the story well. I bought, again, I bought the character motivations. I like those characters, and, way, and I like Henry Cavill's Superman. I think he's great, and I think he has several terrific individual moments, whether he's interacting with with Batman or other characters, or he has them to himself. And I, I, I think Cavill is the right Superman right now, and I, and I hope he sticks around. I'm sure he will if this Justice League thing moves forward. But really, Corey, I think you'll probably agree with me, even though you're a pretty harsh critic of this, obviously. Ben Affleck's Batman really works, and his yeah. Bruce Wayne is really good. It's a fleshed-out character, and Affleck brings a lot to the table while he's in the suit and in perhaps even more impressively, as the seasoned Bruce Wayne. They opt to go the, the sort of 
playboy detective route this time, and I, I like his scenes, again, while he's out of the suit, when he's in the Batcave with Jeremy Irons' Alfred, who I think is really good here, too. Do you agree that Affleck brings a lot to the table here? I do agree, actually. I, I think that's a pretty common uh, common thing to hear, even from the most harsh detractors of, of this film, uh, that Affleck's pretty good in the movie. I really like him. I really like, as you said, Gal Gadot and, and the limited screen time she has. Uh, these performers are not the issue, uh, but the, the sort of mythological foundation this film established to me is 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 unsatisfying but but Affleck's very good it it's kind of a shame that the film's clear high point for me is this opening sequence that revisits the climax of Man of Steel from a new perspective the street level perspective in really well done. Metropolis that's i mean that's really a terrific sequence it it to me is uh is a really clear high point because of how well it establishes character motivation through action, which is something I think the film has a real problem with going forward. Character motivation is not necessarily this film's strong suit, particularly when you get to uh, the sort of planning and machinations of uh, Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor, who appears to be against Superman just for the fact that Lex Luthor is traditionally against Superman in the comics. I'm not really sure what's going on with that character. And and that's divorced completely from Eisenberg's kind of strange performance. I don't have a problem with the performance because whatever he's going for, he's going for it, you know? Yeah. Uh, you, you can't really fault him for that. I just, I, I kind of fault the writing there because whatever he's going for, I just, I don't understand it. That character does several things in the movie, in the course of the film that, don't really add up. They don't really make a lot of sense. Well, I, I don't think there's much depth to it. And, and Jesse Eisenberg was the biggest red flag for me going into this movie. In the trailers, he looked awful. Just out of context, he just seemed to stick, stick out like a sore thumb. I thought that he was going to be Jar Jar Binks level annoying in this movie. And look, it's not his performance isn't like wholly satisfying to me. But he's he's also not the worst part about it, and and that surprised me in a good way. And I think that there are interesting things about the character. At times, there are interesting things about the performance. I think you know Ben Stark and I talked about this that it's interesting the direction that they took the Lex Luthor character, making him this tech savvy, power obsessed millennial that could exist in the real world as it is today, and, and a, a young person who could take over the world in, in under the right circumstances. You know, I think it's as simple as just his obsession, again, with power and being a, a mere mortal in a world where uh, uh, seemingly a god exists in, in the form of Superman, him not having that power, his jealousy of Superman and wanting to bring that down. And there are probably better ways to approach that story than what they do in the movie. But for the most part, I think fundamentally it works for me fine. And there are moments of unpredictability and and real uh, harshness and severity that the character brings. I, I didn't see coming particularly as it relates to a congressional hearing scene, which I, I feared would be, again, one of these numbing, boring moments, but turns out to be one of the most shocking and, and, and entertaining moments of the movie. And really character building for me, for, for Henry Cavill's Superman, there's a shot that's really beautiful in, in one of those flourishes that 
made us love Zack Snyder. Well, love is a very strong word, but made us take note of Zack Snyder in the first place in terms of him as a stylist and what he brought to Dawn of the Dead and 300 and and Watchmen to some extent. There's a great shot involving Superman in that scene, and it's a great acting moment, too, for, for Henry Cavill that I think that the character totally earns. I mean, there are moments like that involving Superman specifically, Corey, where, again, we're reminded that Zack Snyder is a a pretty well-suited stylist, and he's been able to tell stories using his camera and using special effects in an affecting way. And I think that he does that several times here. I'm glad he abandoned the the sort of washed-out, handheld, style of Man of Steel in favor of a tripod for the most part in in Batman versus Superman. And I think he uses colors in interesting ways in this movie. I like the overall look of the movie, and that's not a surprise coming from Snyder. And I'm just glad that he he reverted back to that. Well, the shot that you're referring to uh, at the congressional hearing is one that I specifically single out in my review as kind of being a problem sort of a fundamental problem, not an aesthetic problem, because it, on its own terms it's kind of a cool shot, but a fundamental problem with, with sort of this interpretation of Superman and his propensity towards inaction or brooding or sort of uh, moaning about the weight on his shoulders uh, and not you know being depicted actually taking much action. Superman here is not a tremendously super figure, and I guess this is kind of annoyingly retrograde of me. I'm willing to own that, that that my preferred interpretation of Superman on film is is Christopher Reeve, and sort of the Boy Scout simplicity, the sort of all-American, good-natured Superman who does the right thing at all all times just because it's the right thing to do. Uh, You know, I, I don't necessarily seek a character that is necessarily more complicated than that. Or if there is a complication to be added to the mix, honestly, I prefer what Marvel has done with Captain America. Uh, Steve Rogers is sort of that all-American good guy who's presented all of a sudden with a world that deals in shades of gray. And instead of being affected by the world, instead of turning around and saying, this world uh, brings everybody down, there's no good in this world, like this Superman, I think at one point literally says, he tries to change the system. He tries to make the system as, as good as it should be. And, and you know, I, I'm aware that that's not necessarily uh, the sort of superhero figure that's in style. But to me, to take Superman and to turn him into this figure with many shades of gray, who's only really even seen saving Lois Lane or sort of cowering among uh, above mortals as this godhead figure, to me that, that fundamentally alters the character of Superman. And I don't think Zack Snyder and, and his screenwriters here, David Goyer and Chris Terrio, really developed that character adequately to, to sort of earn the shades of gray they put on it. To me, Henry Cavill's performance is fine, you know, given what he has to do. I think he's kind of bland. I think the character is problematic, though, fundamentally. And I've kind of felt this way since Man of Steel, so I don't think that's surprising. There's an argument, though, that the Superman character is kind of bland. And and I, I hear what people are saying who level that criticism at the character, because I think that if you are Terrio or Goyer or Snyder, 
and you're kind of burdened with making Superman interesting. And and I do think that what they do with Cavill is interesting. I do like this conflicted Superman, at least in this universe that they have set up. And you do have those moments where Superman is a man of action who is doing the right thing, where he, he flies from the party, Lex Luthor's party across the world to save the person in the burning building in Mexico City yeah. in the day of the day. No, you're that's, right. a, that's a great moment. There is the shot where he is saving the exploding space shuttle or when he is saving people who are stuck in a flood. There are those moments. And again, that is where Snyder for me really shines again as a visualist, as a visual storyteller. And again, I think those are character building moments. And the fact that his, his Pa Kent, Kevin Costner's character's prophecy is coming true in that much of the world is rejecting Superman and he is having to deal with that reality I think that is explored in an interesting way, and I think Cavill's performance really supports that. So for me, the Superman stuff did work, and and he does play you know a, a little off to the side here in a movie called Batman versus Superman. But I, I think where it works too is building up that final showdown where he is working through this conflict. He's having to face one of these people of Earth who is rejecting him, and in in Ben Affleck's. Bruce Wayne and Batman, and, and I, I love the pent-up aggression finally coming to a head during that scene. Again, when, when Superman comes to it, knowing what Lex Luthor's plan is, why he has pitted them against each other, Batman doesn't know this. He's set up all of his kryptonite booby traps to, to you know put Superman at a disadvantage, and I, I just thought the sequence worked really well. I think that the problem here is the, the movie – sort of gave itself an obstacle with its title in that that should have been the climax of the movie. And and they should have tied a nice bow on it at that point. And look, the the stuff with Doomsday, obviously, everybody knows that this character, or quote-unquote character, uh, mm-hmm. arrives uh, towards the end of this movie because it was in the trailers. That stuff, you know, while while it had some value in terms of an as an action set piece, and it introduced Wonder Woman into the fray as an action character, it, it made the movie too long. It gave it an extra act that it didn't necessarily need. I like how it set up things moving forward as one of the characters, let's say, disappears, and mm-hmm. I think the movie did tie a nice bow on it and made lemon out of lemonade out of lemon. In, in the moment, but I just didn't think that last little bit was necessary. Well, plus nobody buys what it's selling. You know what I mean? Like you think come away from that movie thinking, Oh no, what's next? Cause you know, what's next. Sure. I mean, you know, that's, that's well established in comic lore and, and you kind of know where it's going, even if you don't. And it, it, you know, it doesn't, to me, that, that entire, Final battle feels not only anticlimactic, apart from Wonder Woman doing her thing, but kind of, uh, like you said, needless. Uh, I, I didn't get much out of it. I didn't think the action was that cool. Doomsday looks pretty bad, just visually. Um, just generic, hulking CG monster uh, drawn from the Weta, you know, playbook. Uh, not really, not really much to that, and certainly. Uh, compared to the controversial climax of Man of Steel, not something that uh, really inspires much awe. Although I will, I do appreciate at many points uh, in the climax, Zack Snyder going out of his way to say <laughs> that the areas in which they're fighting are not populated, as if to uh, 
you know, head on that uh, that criticism uh, before well, it can even develop. Well, that's the same thing that Avengers Age of Ultron did, right? Yeah. In terms of the Avengers working together to evacuate the city. and Which so I love. They, well, see, why does it work there and not necessarily in, in Batman versus Superman? You know, well, I, I'm not saying it doesn't work. I mean, I just, I, 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 I'm saying that if Zack Snyder learned anything from Man of Steel, it well, that's all that. anybody talked about. That's all. That's all anybody whined about. So it's like, obviously they they, they made it the basis for their entire movie and and why Bruce Wayne has the issues he does with Superman, right? On behalf of the people angry over the collateral damage Superman caused in 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 terms of his lack of awareness as he was fighting Zod at the end of that movie. Yeah, but so you, you can't tell me that that wasn't like retrofitted motivation. I don't think that was part of the plan. In the same way that, they, in, in the same way that it was for Avengers Age of Ultron. I mean that Avengers had the same problem Batman or I'm sorry, that Man of Steel had in terms of a lack of acknowledgement of the collateral damage that all of this metropolitan destruction was causing. So I don't know no, I, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. And here's why. In the first Avengers movie when the aliens are invading New York, you actually see Captain America work with the police to try to get civilians out of the way. I mean, there is an acknowledgement of the people on the ground. You know, you have superheroes acting like superheroes. It's slight. It's very slight. And, and they, wouldn't than, have, they wouldn't have felt compelled to address it in the way that they did down the stretch of Age of Ultron had it not been kind of an issue. I, I don't think so. I, I have much less of an issue with that. And, and I think part of the reason is you know, this is this is something that I think bugs me a little less than it might bug other people. But Man, Man of Steel, particularly when you see that climax from the ground level in Batman versus Superman, I mean that's trafficking in all kinds of 9/11 related imagery, and it it feels kind of glib in a way. Just because it's trafficking in 9/11 related imagery? Yeah, in the way that it is. I mean, don't you think that's kind of cheap? I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's pretty common for movies to have buildings falling to the ground, you know, without considering the context of a nation not far removed from that being a reality in in the real world. I just think you watch a Superman, um, you watch, yeah, you watch a Superman movie, you watch an Avengers movie, you watch a Transformers movie, and that is just an I think at this point an unfortunate trend in action movies the same way it's hard to follow a lot of action in modern action movies you know I just think I think it's an unfortunate trend I mean there's 9/11 imagery in the dark night too I mean it's just it's just part of the post 9/11 world where for whatever reason these filmmakers when they do and don't have something substantial to say they think that it's compelling imagery that is affecting with moviegoers, and they're right sometimes, and they're not right at other times. I, I don't think that's the case with Batman versus Superman, because I think they wisely heard the criticism and used it to their advantage to tell a compelling story, especially during that opening sequence. They used it to their advantage, and I think they did it with good intentions. Well, in the opening sequence, I'll, I'll agree that it is compelling, but as far as, as the rest of the film, I, I can't go that far, obviously. Well, that's fine. But, you know, my my biggest problem, Corey, with this this whole movie, I guess, and this whole this whole experience is just sort of a fundamental issue with the backlash that really existed before anybody saw the movie. And it's something that we have addressed, but 
it's still permeating right now. And I think that a lot of the negativity that surrounds these movies, some of it, it has to do with substantial criticism, like, like the ones that you've leveled towards it here in this discussion. But some of it, I think, is, is more about doubling down on the feelings that people had going into the movie. Like I, like I joked before, people hated it as much as they had planned to. I think that there's a lot of truth to that, and I think it's unfortunate, and I think it's dishonest on the part of a lot of moviegoers lately who, for whatever reason, get more satisfaction out of snarking about a movie moment by moment as if they're live-tweeting it instead of taking the individual experience in as a whole and judging it as a singular experience without thinking about, oh, this is just to set this up. Oh, Batman sure looks dour. Well, he's Batman, and, and this happens to be how they'd like to make this movie. Instead of having fundamental problems with what you expect it to be, watch the movie and then consider it, and then you'll have a decent opinion and foundation on which you can argue it. Well, I don't disagree with that necessarily, but I will say that in the case of Batman v Superman, when everything seems so corporate, when everything seems so calculated to set up the next few movies, even in a way that that, that Marvel, which has been doing this for, what, nearly eight years now, has managed to do in virtually every of their movies. I mean, it feels so inorganic and, and uh, just jarring in this film, whereas it doesn't necessarily always in the best of the Marvel movies. I will say this, that there has been a lot of discussion on the internet about a DC versus Marvel cinematic universe rivalry, this, that, and the other thing, which is kind of silly. And it's especially silly from my perspective, because as a young person who read comics, uh, I don't think that I would be upset with a healthy, thriving Marvel universe alongside a healthy, thriving DC universe. No comic fan really is going to, they might be partial to one over the other, but I don't think no comic fan, any comic fan is going to say, I want one to succeed and I don't want the other to succeed. I love the Batman movies. I love the Superman movies. I want to see a, a healthy new iteration, particularly one that culminates in a really fun Justice League movie, which is something I've been wanting to see since I was a kid. Yeah, they're not mutually exclusive. They're not. They're not. So people are and, acting as if they are. I mean, was that the case with the comics? Could could I mean, like you said, comic fans out there can enjoy both. And sure, if you, if you think that it's, it's like people are pretending that the Marvel executives didn't have these same meetings and yeah. calculations to make this Marvel Cinematic Universe as if it was not a product that they were selling. People. I mean, the Marvel Cinematic Universe exists to make money just as much as this DC Justice League universe exists to do the same thing. So what I don't understand is the issue that people have that it seems that it seems they have with the fact that the DC Cinematic Universe even exists. I mean, did people? Do you feel like? I, I personally don't know which came first, Justice League or Avengers, but one came first and then the other came. Do you think people right. sat back? and said, this is just a reaction to what Marvel or DC is doing. How dare they? Or do you think they said, oh, cool, this is neat? Yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't know which one came first either. But, I, you know, I will say again, you know, this DC cinematic universe under the stewardship of, of Zack Snyder and David Goyer, I mean, it, it 
it doesn't do anything for me. I wish it did, but it, it just doesn't. Uh, I don't like these interpretations of the characters, and I don't like either of the movies that they've they've made for it. I would, of course, much prefer for the upcoming Justice League to blow me out of the water. I really would. But for me, the sort of backwards engineering that they've tried to do to get this started, not for nothing, not to make this, again, a Marvel versus DC thing, but we've had how many movies now setting up the conflict that's taking center stage in Captain America Civil War. I mean, that to me strikes, even if it is going to be introducing new characters like Black Panther and Spider-Man, that to me seems to be already uh, come in with sort of stakes that are tangible, with characters that we know and like. Um, it, it doesn't seem to me just to be, you know, a sequel to, like, Man of Steel and a new thing here and set up this thing and that thing and the other thing. I mean, it it has, uh, it's sort of a natural culmination. And Batman versus Superman on many levels to me feels artificial. See, I, I don't know. I, I think you could make the same argument against Civil War for the reasons that you just said. I think you could just watch the preview and judge it in that, exact same way where people did with Batman versus Superman. Once Wonder Woman pops up in the trailer, everybody starts screaming, oh, this is just to set up Justice League. You could say the same thing just by watching the trailer without context about Spider-Man and Black Panther, as you mentioned, as this is just a platform to catapult those characters into their own standalone movie so that they too exist in this Marvel Cinematic Universe. This is an advertisement for those things. So I just think that there is a a slight amount of hypocrisy on that level, and I wish people would just watch the movies for what they are, and then they can react. And and as we're doing here, again, I agree. I think that some of the Justice League moments, particularly the one you mentioned before about, like, with Batman and Wonder Woman opening email attachments and watching these little mini-trailers of Aquaman and Cyborg and and Wonder Woman and, and The Flash, those feel totally shoehorned in those moments. They don't totally work, and that's Zack Snyder is to blame for that because he sacrifices the storytelling to to essentially put in some product placement for future DC installments. Mm-hmm. But I just I don't hold that against the entirety of Batman v Superman. It is a flaw that exists within the movie. It just didn't hurt the experience enough for me to say, no, this is bad. Well, it's again, to me, it's not as if the storytelling is sort of separately compelling on its own. I mean, it's it's really clunky. It's cumbersome. Uh, it's, it's edited very haphazardly. It moves back and forth just sort of lurchingly between its numerous subplots, many of which don't add up to anything. And by the end, I, I can't say I came away from it satisfied, uh, you know, just owing to... Uh, not only the, the style of filmmaking, but the sort of divisive nature uh, of the interpretations of the characters. You know, here's what I will say. In, in, I know that people feel a certain way about Zack Snyder now. He's kind of he's kind of fallen into the category of the Michael Bay's out there, where people there's they're sort of a word association game that you can play, right? Where it's like Michael Bay equals bad because Transformers and because all the terrible things he's done. I think, unfortunately, Zack Snyder is in that territory where people hear the name and they think, uh-oh, Zack Snyder's directing, so this might be bad. I don't personally feel that way, but 
A big question that I have coming out of this movie, especially in response to the very positive response that people seem to have to Ben Affleck's Batman, is why haven't they announced and why aren't we getting a standalone Batman movie starring Ben Affleck? I understand that he's going to be at the center of all of this Justice League stuff, particularly these two Justice League movies, I would just think that because Batman movies themselves have done so well on their own, and because it seems like they've got a great Batman and Bruce Wayne on their hands, wouldn't the next move be to make a Batman standalone movie? Would you see that? And would you, I mean, would you be excited for that? I think I would. I I think I would be reasonably excited for it. Just like I, I would say I'm reasonably excited for Wonder Woman, which comes out next year. Uh, to answer your, your question about why it hasn't been announced, I think it's because they're trying to get Affleck to direct it himself. Uh, so the negotiations process there is kind of uh, protracted. He's got another film coming out next year called Live by Night, his follow-up to Argo, that he is currently in post-production on. So I imagine once that process settles down and once sort of the uh, dust clears on the, the box office take of Batman v Superman, uh, I think that we might hear more about that, particularly, as you said, is, is because uh, Affleck is one of the most commonly agreed upon positive aspects of the film. You know, I don't know and won't know until I see him in action whether I want Affleck to face up against Jared Leto's Joker or, or something like that, because that would be you know, the third film adaptation of Batman versus the Joker. And, I'm not sure how many of those we need, particularly so soon after a version that's pretty near definitive in, in Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight. Or uh, the Mask of the Phantasm. Oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, but it's time for a new villain, perhaps. Yeah, I, I yeah. I mean, that, I think that's what it comes down to. I'm all about telling new Batman stories and in new uh, interpretations. I think Affleck's interpretation is is good. Um, I don't love the fact that Batman v Superman has him breaking his one rule left and right, but uh, that's an issue that I have with Snyder and, and Goyer and Terrio. He's got the look, the performance is good. I think Affleck directing could be something kind of interesting and to pit, pit him against uh, a new villain that's not necessarily the Joker. Sure, I'm on board. Mark Rylance is Mr. Freeze. Pay me. Oh, man, I'd watch that. Are you uh, does does Batman v Superman affect your anticipation for Suicide Squad at all? No, because I was really excited about Suicide Squad before this. Yeah. Just because I think the marketing has been very strong for it. I, I do think, too. I think the tra- both trailers they've released have been really good. And to be quite honest with you, if I was making a list of most anticipated, Suicide Squad would have been ahead of Batman v Superman for me. Well, it certainly would have been ahead of ahead of it for me, and I don't see that changing now. Uh, but I, I, I also think it looks good. I mean, I'm kind of worried that the sort of off-kilter, slightly humorous tone is sort of a misrepresentation because David Ayer, the director, I think he's had one joke in all of the movies he's made put together so far. Yeah. So this would be kind of a departure for him, but I think he could pull it off if, in fact, you know, he's into that idea. Well, I mean, everything looks good so far, even Jared Leto's Joker, which I think has come off pretty well in the trailers so far, even though we've seen very little of him. I'm really excited about that movie, and, and that hasn't changed. I mean, even even a movie with Joel Kinnaman or, or Jai Courtney, the fact that both of those guys are in this movie and I'm still excited about it means they've done something right in the trailers. 
you know, the end of Time Cop where Ron Silver runs into himself and it creates like this crazy mutant black hole thing? I know it very well. Uh, that's kind of what I anticipate Joel Kinnaman and Jack Courtney meeting on a film set to be like. It's like this <laughs> vortex of blandness. Oh, God. Yeah, I, I don't understand that choice. Well, Lito's still the question mark for me. I still think that the look of the Joker is kind yeah. of terrible. Um, you know, Lito is, is Lito. Um, so, you know, we'll what see does that tattoo say? His, isn't it like pain or loneliness? Like, or something. Is it disturbed or something? Maybe it is disturbed. That that always kind of bugged me just about the, the character design, but otherwise I'm I'm just excited they're trying something a little different and I've liked what I've seen so far. So no, Batman versus Superman has has no effect on it because I was I was excited about it going into Batman versus Superman. So yeah, I don't know. And we, and we know that Batman is in Suicide Squad based on the trailer too. So that's something yeah. to be excited about. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm, right. I'm, gonna, I'm holding my breath, you know. So, before we go here, Corey, now that this one's out of the way, what, what's next for you? I mean, Midnight Special, I don't know if that's coming to Alabama this weekend or anytime soon. The, the I'm not Netflix sure. Movie, but um, that, would that would be next on my list. That would be next on my list, too. Um, you know, we it's it's my spring break, so um, if Midnight Special ends within driving distance, uh, <laughs> I may uh, be around uh, wherever it is. I'm kind of interested, despite its reviews uh, in the uh, Hank Williams biopic, I Saw the Light, uh, with Tom Hiddleston kind of playing a really convincing-looking Hank Williams anyway. Uh, and I think that is scheduled or slated or however tentatively um, to open in Alabama somewhere. And uh, apart from that, I don't know. We've got a Linklater film coming out in a couple weeks. Don't know when exactly. Oh, man, I'm super pumped for that. Yeah, that looks it looks great. That Red Band trailer is very, very good. <laughs> and uh, I'll be going to uh, the Nashville Film Festival again in a few weeks, and I've got a lineup currently. Uh, that includes a new uh, Whit Stillman movie called Love and Friendship, a new Werner Herzog documentary about the Internet called Lo and Behold, Reveries of the Connected World. Oh, my God. Which is just about the best Werner Herzog title ever. <laughs> uh, and I'm hoping to catch um, Ben Wheatley's High Rise there. So uh, kind of a lot in my uh, immediate future, I hope. Um, and uh, I hope it's uh, it's all good stuff. Well, you can read all about it on artsbham.com. Find Corey's movie reviews there. You can find my stuff on AL.com. You can always find it at Aspect Radio on iTunes, at Aspect Radio on Twitter. And I'm glad we got to do this, Corey. And until next time, I am Ben Flanagan. And I'm Corey Kraft. We should do this again sometime.